This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation, like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Your favorite PGA and LPGA legends, pros, and top instructors are right here every week on Next on the Tee. Join Chris as the greats of the game share their stories, insights, and playing lessons. Now, back to Chris and more of the show. All right, now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is Mark Carnival. And let me remind you folks about Mark's background. He is from Annapolis, Maryland. Played his college golf at James Madison University, where he was a four-year letterman and a two-time MVP. While he was there, Mark won the 1979 Governor's Classic and the 1982 James Madison University Invitational. Graduated with his degree in marketing and a minor in economics. In 1999, he was inducted into the James Madison University Athletics Hall of Fame. He turned pro back in 1983, and he won four times out on the PGA Tour. At the 1984 Virginia Open the 1990 Utah Open, the 92 Chattanooga Classic, and the 1997 Nike Inland Classic. Mark was named the PGA Tour Rookie of the Year in 1992. He finished tied for 25th at the 98 U.S. Open at Olympic Club over in San Francisco. Like I say, you can hear Mark now on SiriusXM's PGA Tour uh, channel, as well as PGA Tour Live, and I am honored he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Mark, thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks, Chris. Glad to be with you, and uh, thanks for the invite. Wow, you bet. So, Mark, as uh, as I introduce you as the uh, 92 Rookie of the Year, now I got to switch that up and say you are the 92 Arnold Palmer Award winner. Talk about what it's like now to forever be linked with the King. Uh, it's it's really special, uh, Chris. Um, uh, Mr. Palmer was was obviously not only responsible for really making the game to what it is now, but he certainly was one of my heroes along with my dad. Uh, he was the reason I really kept pursuing the game of golf after after seeing an interview he did, uh, I would say probably in the late uh, 80s. Uh, and then, of course, I went on to qualify for the tour in the fall of 1991 and, and spent 12 years out there. But, uh, no, it's, it, it's such an honor. Uh, uh, I just, uh, it's, I couldn't be happier because obviously, as you mentioned, uh, it links me not only now with the game of golf, but with his legacy. And uh, I, I just, as I have spoken numerous times since the announcement was made uh, yesterday to, to numerous people, uh, uh, I, just, I just couldn't be happier. It is such a cool thing uh, to, to be linked with him now. And uh, uh, it's just, uh, uh, wow, I'm just, I'm just honored, quite frankly. And Mark, you know, obviously it comes, you know, at the time of year when we have the Arnold Palmer Invitational this week. So it's got to make it a little extra special now, right? Because now the award has changed to his name. You're going to be out there, I'm sure, covering the API. And uh, it's just really got to fill you with a great sense of pride and a great sense of who the king was and and what he meant to the game. And now you're going to be there, you know, with the award, obviously, in in your portfolio but also walking the golf course and, uh, and the essence of Mr. Palmer. Got to make it extra special for it to be this week while you're going to be there. 
Uh, absolutely, Chris. Uh, one of the things that I think maybe is lost uh, amongst uh, Mr. Palmer and, and not only what he did for the game, and uh, there's there's a bit of a link between he and my dad is that, you know, that my, he reminded me of my father uh, so much and just the way they handled themselves and the way they understood uh, sort of their place in what they did. My father, you know, was a, was a, bas- was a basketball hall of famer, was a collegiate coach, was an athletic director. Um, it, it just, they did things that was very unselfish. Uh, their, their goal was to make the game better uh, than when they, they first got there. And without question, Mr. Palmer ha- has done that. Uh, I mean, more than you could ever think he, anyone could do it. And uh, that's what's really special to me is uh, he was very unselfish. While certainly he made a lot of money through different endeavors and uh, whatever, but he really put the game above himself and was very unselfish in, in how he approached it. And obviously with the Arnold Palmer Invitational and, and what it does not only for the community uh, of Orlando, but for charities and the Winnie Palmer Hospital and everything else, uh, he did that not for himself, but he did that to help other people and to make the game better and certainly uh, made an impact in, in the game of golf, which will will go on you know, forever and ever and ever. And as I said, myself and all the other PJ Tour pros really owe him a great uh, debt uh, for what he did in allowing us to play this game at the level we do and everything that comes with it. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be very special to be there this week, uh, particularly with the announcement yesterday. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it. And Mark, you, you mentioned a couple of things so far. You, you, you used the word unselfish a number of times, and then you also spoke about your father. And I want to talk about both of those things in context with your father for a moment. And he was a veteran who served in World War II, You've uh, you've told the story and you've actually tweeted out recently about how he was adrift at sea for seven days at one point, and then you mentioned your father as as a head coach. So if you wouldn't mind, talk a little bit about your father and the things you know about his life and what he instilled in you. Uh, it's, well, I mean, obviously, as I mentioned, he's he was my hero. He was he was uh, my, one of my best. You know, he was my best friend. Um, I grew up and you know, I was born later in his coaching career and he coached at Chapel Hill in 1945 and 46 and lost to Oklahoma A&M in the finals of 1946. Uh, Hank Iva was the coach at, at AMM and then he went to the Naval Academy for 20 years where I was born in 1960 and uh, I was a great athlete you know he, he played at NYU in the 1930s they won a champ, uh, national championship there I believe in 34 or 35 uh, that, is, that escapes me um, he was involved in basketball and college athletics uh, his whole career. Uh, I have three older brothers and an older sister. All my three older brothers played collegiate basketball, one at South Carolina, one at James Madison where I went to school, another went to the University of Delaware. And when I came along, you know, he retired in coaching in 66, so I was six years old. And my dad was a, was a really good, really good golfer. And, you know, he taught the game to me and he showed me the game and never really any pressure but just instilled, uh, you know, uh, the the quality of and the character that you had to be with whatever you did. And as I said, you know, he he believed in making his profession better uh, for those to come after. Uh, it, it just, uh, I mean, I, I, my my greatest people ask me what 
my greatest moment in golf was, and obviously I won, I played the Masters and had so many other things, but really the greatest moment was my dad was with me when I qualified for the PGA Tour back in the fall of 1991. And uh, I remember he had to leave early, he caught a flight, so I wasn't done. He knew I was going to make it, but just didn't know where I was going to finish. And this was back before cell phones and all that. So I called him at the hotel before he was leaving for the airport. You know, he wanted to know where I finished. And, you know, I finished, I think I ended up finishing 18th or 19th and he couldn't speak. And my father was a very, you know, six foot five, just, a, you know, a big monstrous Italian guy that spoke with his hands and was loud. And, and my dad couldn't speak. And that's the greatest moment in my life. And my golfing career, knowing how proud he was of me and, uh, it just, uh, he, he lived a, a wonderful life. He lived to the age of, uh, of 92, uh, when he passed away. And, uh, it's obviously involved with the NCAA selection committee, only person to be on the selection committee twice. Um, it, it just, he was a one hell of a role model and he really came from nothing out of the, out of Raritan, New Jersey and made his way to New York to go to New York university. And, uh, it's, uh, you know, I had a lot, I had big shoes to fill, but he was one who always was supportive and, you know, understood that as, as a man or anybody that you have to do what you want to do. And I wanted to eventually pursue golf for a living. And uh, he was there the whole way. And, uh, it just, uh, I was very fortunate in my life, uh, to not only be around him and my, my family, but certainly the, the greats and icons of sports throughout all of it, uh, through his, through his, what his career was. And, uh, as I said, uh, I've been very fortunate in my life and Arnold Palmer was, uh, Mr. Palmer was someone else, you know, who I, who I spent some time with that, uh, just reminded me of my dad so much that it's just, uh, it's very special. And Mark talking about a number of things that you just mentioned, you know, your father being proud of you and big shoes to fill and being around great icons of sports and different sports. Well, you're inducted into your high school Hall of Fame, Lafayette High School, along with Lawrence Taylor, Ron hmm. Springs, and Mel Gray. Nice, nice company that you've got <laughs> in that class. And then you also are in the Hall of Fame at James Madison. Boy, I, I'd say you made your father proud and you filled those shoes quite nicely. And then obviously what the great things you're doing now as a broadcaster. But talk about being in both the high school and college Hall of Fames. It's it's pretty special. I mean, you know, like my dad, I mean, I, I just – I. As as back in 1998 at the U.S. Open, you know when the when you know the popular phrase, you know, you're the man, you're the man, and you know I was playing well, and unfortunately I didn't have a great final round, but I remember someone saying, "Hey, you're the man. I'm just I'm just a man. I mean, I'm someone who when I started this game, uh, you know, Chris, uh, it wasn't for the money. I just loved playing golf, and and I wanted to entertain people that came out for it." And to be recognized uh, with those honors, uh, and again, you know, with this honor, uh, I mean, I, you know, obviously I won the Rookie of the Year back in 1992, but now it, to be linked to the Arnold Palmer, I mean, it's just, uh, it's an honor. And and, I, and I've never believed that I could ever give enough back to this game of golf, what I've gotten out of it, and, and where it's taken me all over the world, and the people I've met, and the experiences I've had, and to be to have been inducted into those Hall of Fames is pretty special because, uh, again, I'm just I'm just one individual, uh, and I believe I, I've I've helped you know I've carried myself with character and for passion for this game and not just in golf but but in life and and respecting people and 
and understanding that we all contribute uh, to some aspect of life. And uh, I, like my dad, I, I want to make what I've done better. And, you know, it's, it's worked out where, you know, it's now broadcasting and I, and I hope I make it a better experience for those, those fans out there that, that, that love this game like I do. Mark, switching gears a little bit, I, I want to get your thoughts. Obviously, the the uh, issue over the rules is dominating golf talk right now, particularly the drop rule, and, and the issues mm-hmm. don't seem like they're going to be going away anytime soon. What do you think about the drop rule, and what are you hearing from the players? Well, I, I just think, I mean, look, I, ha- I have the utmost respect for the USJ and the RNA, and they want to, you know, I mean, they want to – I, I mean, they've 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 made an effort to make the rules easier for the average player, and I, and I think that's good. But again, there's there, there's there's never I, I've always felt there's too much gray area in the rules. Um, you know, to me, whether you drop it from your knee or your shoulder or whatever, it doesn't matter. I mean, to me, the rules should be read. Okay, you can't drop it below your knee. I mean, what difference does it make if you drop it from your knee, your waist, or your shoulder? I mean, is that breaking a rule? I mean, to me, that that makes no sense. And again, it's it, it's roles should be easy for the average person because not everybody is a, a tour player. And I and I would be the first to admit, tour players are probably <laughs> extremely ignorant as far as all all the rules of golf go. And it, it should be easy. It shouldn't be a, a guessing. And 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 the rules of golf, in, in my mind, should not be there to penalize you. They should be there uh, to help you, and I, I think there's there's a disconnect uh, when these rules are written. And um, again, you're yes, there are people that are stewards of this game, but I don't know how many of them have played competitively. I, I don't know if if enough of them understand exactly what goes on through a, in a player's mind uh, as they're in the heat of the moment, and it shouldn't be. I mean. You know, you've, you've, you're subject to a penalty or you're subject to relief. It, it shouldn't cause agony, and, and, it, and it, it appears to be call, causing angst, and, and there's too many question marks. Yes, I know the rules have just changed, and they've been implemented, you know, just three months ago, but it shouldn't be that way. I mean, it, it shouldn't be this question of, you know, am I doing it right or whatever. It just, just there's to me, there's just too much gray area in them. And, Mark, how much – do you think the frustration that the players are showing, do you think goes back to the issues that uh, the USGA has had with setup of the last several U.S. Opens, sort of a, a frustration boiling over with the USG in general, going back to the U.S. Open and now when we, we see these rules? Is there a correlation there or no? I think so. And I think the players' frustration, I think it's probably frustrating on, on all professional tours is, is there are organizations, yes, they run – a handful of major events, they run, you know, a couple, you know, three, four professional events throughout the year. And there, there's other factors in this. And, and when you have people make, at least in my, in my mind, when you have people making the rules that are not there, it's like, you, you don't know how I feel unless you've walked in my shoes. And very few of those people have walked in a tour player's shoes, whether it be a, a female or a male. Um, I think it is it is challenging, and I, I know that we spoke about this before we came on. I mean, I am a I am a, a big fan of bifurcation of roles. Uh, I am absolutely a fan of that because it's a different game 
for the amateur player and, and the professionals. And uh, again, I think it's when you have people that, and I'm not saying they're not, they're not trying to do what's best for the game. I, I just think it's just, it's, you're not talking to the right people. And, and I don't know if they bring players. I mean, the whole Twitter war between Justin Thomas, I mean, come on. Right. I mean, what are they doing? You know, you, you can't tell me you can't figure out a way to talk to Justin Thomas uh, it, it, or any player. I, I, I Look, I, I, again, as I said, I have a lot of respect for what the USGA and the RNA have done for the game of golf. But at some point, um, you know, you, you have to have people who have a better understanding of what the game is, and I'm not sure they do. And Mark, as you mentioned a moment ago, yeah, we, we, we touched on bifurcation before we came on live. Do we need different rules for the, for the pros versus the rest of us? Do we need different equipment standards? Do we need both? What are your thoughts on where bifurcation needs to happen? I, I think it all needs to be looked at, uh, Chris. I, I think, um, you know, again, I'm old school. So, you know, I think uh, the USJ, while the US, USJ and RNA have addressed certain things, I don't think they've addressed the golf ball. I don't think they've addressed the equipment. To me, as a professional, as someone who played this game for a long time, and I'm not going to say, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm, I'm, you know, I'm crying, I'm, I'm saying spilt milk over, crying spilt milk over the fact that, well, back when I played, we didn't have this. You know, it is what it is. I'm not, but I think that at some point, you have to understand that there is a certain amount of talent that is taken out of this game by the equipment. And, and I hate to see that. You know, we talk about the golf courses that uh, maybe have become obsolete, that, you know, some of the, the major championships can't be played at anymore because they're not long enough. I mean, you know, you go back to Marion and people say, well, look what happened to Marion. I, I get that. But there's so many great golf courses that can't hold major championships because, quite frankly, I think because of the equipment. Players don't care how long they make the rough. I mean, if you're going to bomb it out there 350 yards and you're hitting wedges, what do you care whether you're playing for the rough or the fairway? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I just I personally, uh, and, I, and I, I said, you know, I've been around sports long enough that, you know, games evolve, sports evolve, and things change. I mean, it's like we can't compare the players now uh, to, to Bobby Jones and Walter Hagen and, and, and so forth just because I, it's just not fair. It, it's just not fair uh because there's different circumstances and not to say one's better than the other or vice versa so i think you have to adapt to it and i to me uh you know it's just like with the anchor band rule you know that's something that was around you know the usga and rna should have addressed that when it happened not wait 25 years and then change it because quite frankly i think it's it's uh you know it is quite uh, <laughs> the word's not coming to my mind it is you know it has gotten people disinterested that, that use that and they want to be able to play events. And to me, it doesn't make any sense uh, to, to not let people, if that, if, if that gets them to play the game and they enjoy the game using, you know, an anchored putter, so be it. I don't care less. I mean, Arnold Palmer was criticized by the, by the USGA because he supported that the Callaway ERC driver because it went further, you know, if someone hitting the ball further off the team makes them enjoy the game and play the game, then that's good for the game. So, I mean, obviously I don't have an opinion on all this, Chris, but <laughs> 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 and as I said, I respect the USJ and RNA 
But to me, there's there's a disconnect somewhere. Mark, I want to switch gears again, and I want to go back to your playing career. And I was looking up some things, and when you won the 92 Chattanooga Classic, you did so by coming back. You, you started out in 20th place. You were five strokes off the lead going into the final round. And one of the interesting stories from it, I read that your caddy, Leroy Schultz, who had previously mm-hmm. caddied for guys like Lanny Watkins and Tom Weiskopf, but he told your friends along the second fairway he's going to win today. What yeah. do you remember about that, and why was he so confident that early in the round that you were going to do it? He didn't tell me that, Chris. <laughs> I think, you know, I mean, here, here's someone who's, you know, he was a caddy at Augusta National, and obviously, as you mentioned, caddy for Lanny Watkins and Tom Weisskopf, and, you know, he understood the game, and, and I guess he just saw uh, it, it, it in me. I mean, I, I mean, when when you when people are around sports that have been around sports a long time, they recognize things, and uh, you know it was just cool. I, it, it's funny because you know I think I would I had I think I had eight birdies and eagle and two three putts for two bogeys to shoot uh, 64. Um, yeah, it, it's something that you know I remember it, but I don't remember it because as we've always talked about, I'm sure you've talked about it. With, with numerous guests on your show, I mean, I was in a zone. I, I wasn't even thinking about it. And, uh, I mean, even I think I missed a five-footer for birdie on the last hole. <laughs> but uh, it, it was pretty special. And, I mean, the only – I would say the only sad thing was that uh, – I mean, I had friends there, but I didn't have any family there uh, to see me win. Uh, but uh, it was a very special day. It seems like a long time ago, and it was now, you know, almost 27 years ago. <laughs> Chris, so, but yeah, I mean, Leroy was a, was a great, uh, I considered him, uh, you know, he, he taught me a lot about the game of golf, uh, and, and obviously helped me a great deal. And I think the key was he let me just play, you know, he just let me play golf that day. And, uh, obviously, uh, I went on to win. Mark, one more before we let you go. And as we get to this time of year, many of us immediately start thinking about the Masters. And Augusta National is one of my favorite places on the planet. You got to play in the tournament in 93. What do you remember about your first experience playing uh, playing in the uh, Masters tournament? Well, a lot of it was a blur. I, I didn't play particularly well. Uh, probably the one thing that stands out to me is, you know, I went there a couple times before the event, you know, for a couple days and, and got a sense of the golf course. Uh, uh, it, it was uh, <laughs> the sad part about it. With Leroy was supposed to caddy for me, but unfortunately he didn't make it. Um, you know, Leroy had had some issues, and uh, he didn't make it. So I, I had taken a local guy there, and uh, a guy by the name of Joe Johnson, and he was a great caddy. And but I remember from Wednesday to Thursday, the green speeds had changed. And I free putted for the first five greens, and uh, so I got off to a bad start. And then I was in the in the second round. I was paired with Billy Casper, who I, I had an opportunity to go to Morocco with uh, uh, in the off season. Uh, my uh, that same year, as a matter of fact. And Billy told me, he says, "Yeah, it takes you four or five times to figure this place out. Not that you'll ever figure it out, but it takes you a few times." But I remember it was really more about everybody that supported me through the years to get to the PGA tour. Uh, I remember I rented, uh, I rented a, a house and I stayed in a hotel, but I rented a house for them and I, I had all my friends and some of my sponsors 
and, and dear friends there and my family. And uh, I had obviously hoped to get back and play, and I never did. But it was really for about them. But, I, you know, in retrospect, I was okay with that uh, because I knew how – uh, important it was for them to be there and to see me there. And obviously I would have liked to play better, but uh, it's a special place. And uh, I, I'd never forget walking from the uh, the locker room uh, out to the first tee. And I just felt like I was walking on air and uh, it was hollow ground and, and all the greats that ever played the game had set foot on that property and played uh, in this event and uh, pretty special. Mark, before we let you go, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's online or it's on social media? Obviously, you can you can follow me on Twitter. I'm not I'm not a great Twitterer <laughs> or tweeter or whatever you call it. I do occasionally. Uh, it's at M-C-R-O-Y at uh, 92 on Twitter. Um, I'll be, I work PJ Tour Radio and I do PJ Tour Live. I'll be on PJ Tour Radio this week for the Arnold Palmer Invitational next week. I'll be on PGA Tour Live. You can go to pjtour.com to find out about that. I'll be that for the players. I'll be doing radio on site at the Valspar Championship, and I'll also be uh, the analyst for radio for the World Golf Championships. Dell Technologies Match Play. And I got a week off, and then I will do uh, Augusta, uh, the Masters for Westwood One. Uh, you can hear all that on SiriusXM PGA Tour Radio. And then I'll also be on site at the RBC Heritage uh, for radio. So I got a busy uh, seven weeks coming up here, Chris. Yes, you do. Indeed, you do. Well, Mark, it, it's always a huge thrill for me to get to spend some time with you. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. I hope I get the privilege of catching up with you again sometime real soon. You are absolutely spectacular, my friend. Well, thanks, you, Chris. Anytime. Happy to do it. Uh, and, uh, to all you, uh, your listeners out there, uh, golf is a great game. It's, uh, you develop that passion for it, and, and I'm happy to shed whatever little light I can on, uh, on your listeners uh, anytime. Well, I appreciate that very much, Mark. All the best to you and your family. I hope I get to catch up with you again soon. Hope so, too, Chris. Take care. See you, Mark. That's Mark Carnival, and I tell you what, folks, and I mean this sincerely, when I think about the greats of the game as a, from a broadcasting perspective, and I said this in the intro, he and Maureen Medill, I believe, are the two best to ever do golf play-by-play on the radio. I enjoy listening to Mark. I, you know, I miss him having his own show on PGA Tour uh, Radio on uh, Sirius XM. But uh, always look forward to listening to Mark and listening to the broadcast wherever he's going to be. And uh, when uh, he gets uh, when he gets on the mic this weekend, I'll be listening. And uh, I really hope I get the oppor- opportunity and I really say privilege of having Mark back on the show again real soon. Arnold Palmer Award winner, 1992, Mark Carnival. This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation, like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. 
we're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.